there is so much power in just letting people live in the healthy body of Christ, being with a healthy family. And so all kinds of people who had had rough backgrounds, who were really working to overcome pain in their lives, just the fact of living with this and learning the things that you do in a healthy family were great blessings to them. There are things that God can do for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and there are things that I can do for myself that God will not do for me, which I always was torqued about back then. I wanted to blame him and, you know, him to be responsible for the whole thing. But then the real kicker is there are things that community can do for us that I can't do for myself and that God won't do for me, and that really makes us uncomfortable in the body of Christ. We very seldom allow community to be what God actually desires them to be. We won't be vulnerable enough for them. Well, fellowship has been defined as, you know, going out for pizza and bowling instead of, no, we are all fellows in this same boat going through life's storms together and we are all rowing together and helping one another to get where God's calling us to go. So, hey, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Love and Truth Network podcast. We are so excited uh, today to have uh, a dear friend, a ministry partner, and one of our board members uh, for Love and Truth Network, Dave Cottrell, uh, with us today. And I'm really excited to have Dave here because he's been a longtime uh, mentor of mine, a longtime coach. He and his wife, Kathy, have uh, not only uh, been a mentor and coach, but they've uh, they had taken me into their home and really walked with me through such deep, uh, painful uh, struggles of life and also just some of my own addictions. And they've been in my life now for well over 25 years. And I just wanted to bring Dave on to this podcast and hoping to be an encouragement uh, to you as a listener, to you as those watching us by way of video. And uh, again, wanting to both give a sense of what might be needed if you're struggling. Uh, the reality that uh, Psalm 68, 6 says that God takes the lonely and puts them in family. And Dave and Kathy were willing to be that family for me and for so many others. It wasn't just for me, but they really practiced that lifestyle of having many people over the years in their home and just being able to be in a, in a healthy environment was so much more impactful than I could have even imagined at the time. We'll talk about all that in a minute. But saying all of that, really by way of just introducing uh, Dave to you, and you're going to have a chance to hear some of his story uh, and, and testimony, as we always do, starting off. We have our guests share uh, some of their story of how God has um, met them and led them into salvation, and then how he's impacted their life after that. So, uh, Dave, without um, going on more and more, which I certainly could about you, but thanks so much for being with us and being willing to just share uh, from your heart with us today. Gary, thanks so much for having me, for inviting me to this and blowing me away with your kind introduction. Um, oh, like I said, I could go on a lot more, but I, uh, I we would love to hear from you just a little bit about uh, just your journey with Jesus and, and kind of your upbringing a little bit and how God, his Jesus, has impacted uh, your life. 
Well, I'm one of those guys with, as they say, you know, a more boring testimony <laughs> because I have, you know, there was no radical change when I was five years old. Right. That, uh, <laughs> so I grew up in a family with, uh, my mom had come from a mixed spiritual uh, family where her father was Methodist and her mother was Catholic. And so as she was growing up, they would be tussling back and forth. She'd be in one place for a while and then the other, and then they finally gave up and uh, she just was going full-time Catholic. My dad had come from a family that was Protestant. I don't think they really had a strong sense of a denomination within that, but just, you know, loving the Lord. Uh, when I'd go and visit uh, that family up in Northern California, we'd go to a Presbyterian church. But dad didn't have any real personal sense of, uh, you know, relationship with the Lord. Mm. But he had a sense that, well, it's good to take kids to church. Mm. Praise God. I don't know if God put that in his mind or that was just his observation on the world. But as a result of that, our family started going to uh, Baptist church. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was very strange in its time. It was a megachurch before there were megachurches. It okay. was... Uh, First Baptist Church of Van Nuys, and the wonderful thing, they had uh, kids' Sunday school. They actually wouldn't allow kids into the sanctuary until they were seven years old. Hmm. And so here I was uh, at five, but there was a workaround in that because I joined the choir, and they had <laughs> kids' choirs, and then we would get to uh, perform from time to time in the sanctuary, and that was just a marvelous thing for me. Mm -hmm. There's not been a time in my life that I can remember not knowing God. Mm. I've just always had that sense of you know knowing he's there. But the particulars of the gospel I learned in Sunday school at First Baptist Van Nuys. Okay. And uh, a wonderful, wonderful young man named Charlie Ivers was uh, a Sunday school teacher, and there were others, but it was Charlie I, I remember specifically. Mm -hmm. And I went to the Sunday school class and heard the gospel, and my heart just immediately responded, oh, yes, I want Jesus. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't any major repentance at that time. Right. Uh, it just continued in, in growing, and I longed to be in the sanctuary. Uh, every week, it was just, again, going to choir. Every time there was an opportunity, I wanted to be at church. And then uh, finally, you know, getting to be seven years old and getting to go into the sanctuary. And I couldn't understand why all these other kids were drawing pictures and writing notes. They were preaching the word of God. This is amazing. This is yes. what I, you know, this this is so great. And so I was just a sponge. I just soaked it all up. And through my life, you know, we moved different places, went to different churches, but I always wanted to be there 
to be able to hear the message and to grow in my knowledge of the word and in relationship with the Lord. We moved when I was going into fifth grade uh, to a place where I was uh, picked on. I was bullied severely. I was, uh, I was sort of selected as a scapegoat on day one of that school and uh, it was, we lived in that place for six years, and I didn't have really a friend for five and a half. It was a miserable time of life. Mm. And uh, at the same time, this is when Dad's alcoholism was in uh, getting more and more difficult. And so there were lots of pressures. I mean, it sounds like, oh, you know, everything's going great for Dave. Mm -hmm. Well, church was a refuge. It was a wonderful place I longed to be. But home was tougher and school and life. And uh, lots of nights I remember just, you know, crying myself to sleep mm -hmm. uh, as uh, for my life circumstances and what, mm -hmm. what was happening there. Yeah. But... Uh, I just always knew the Lord was loving me, and mm. it was His grace that was sustaining me in those times when I was uh, just feeling very, very sad and lonely. Yes, yes. So, you know, there was no great, again, conversion story at the beginning, but what God did for me later on through those years would just keep on giving me opportunities in leadership, in ministry. I learned how to play guitar when mm -hmm. I was 11 and uh, became a worship leader. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I've been doing that all these years and writing music and uh, really enjoying getting to, you know, lead worship with God's people. But I've also had lots of problems over the years in church Um that even you know within uh, within churches, it's not always rosy, right? And uh, there was there has been uh, lots of persecution I've encountered. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, and I'd be wondering, you know, well, why is this happening here? This is uh, this this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But also, I would you know sort of cause some of my own troubles because I would go to the pastor with the Bible and I'd say, hey, the Bible says we're supposed to be doing this. Why don't we do this? That wasn't received real well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's been sort of a marker of my life. And uh, you know, that'll get you in trouble. But yep. God's just done wonderful things. I've needed uh, healing in my life from a lot of those rough years and difficult things with dad and your ministry through uh, living waters was just mm -hmm. a major major help for me going through and praying and the lord just revealing some of the things and showing a lot of the scars that i had had from earlier and yet the lord being able to be there and to provide healing yes. so i've had a life full of seeing god at work Hmm. In literal, miraculous ways, 
in lots of just general everyday encouraging ways. Yes. I've seen so many lives transformed. Um, I met my wife, Kathy, at, uh, in college at a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting. And uh, God did some wonderful things to be able to put us together. And we enjoyed, as you mentioned, you know, having a ministry of hospitality. Uh, we, for the first four and a half years of our marriage, we were in a tiny little apartment. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a lot of room and resources. And we had our two wonderful boys, Jonathan and David, in the house. But we would still have people live with us, even in the apartment. Yep. And then God gave us this amazing starter house with four bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was blowing me away. But he said, no, you've been faithful with that little. I'm giving you this much because I know this is going to be my house. Yes. And uh, right after, you know, we got that, we started having people living with us, missionaries, college mm -hmm. students, you, uh, I mean, so many people along the way. And we had seen, uh, as you mentioned before, there is so much power in just letting people live in the healthy body of Christ, yes. being with a healthy family. And so all kinds of people who had had rough backgrounds, who were really mm -hmm. working to overcome pain in their lives— just the fact of living with this and learning the things that you do in a healthy family were great blessings to them. And so it's, you know, yeah, it's sacrificial, but it's it wasn't, you know, carrying around this huge burden all the time. Right. We just got to have people live with us and be loved by us. And God did wonderful work through all of that. So that's something I feel like anybody can do. Right. And it doesn't have to have the big house. We were doing that even when we had the little apartment yep. and uh, just the one bedroom. So I know that's been a testimony in your life and lots of others. So that could hopefully be an encouragement for others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I also think, um, thanks for sharing all that, Dave. I also think that uh, what strikes me is that, you know, I got to experience that with you, um, a couple of other people, but I think it was most impactful uh, with you and Kathy because of your high level of intentionality about um, the the environment that you guys um, foster for your kids, the environment that you foster, the genuine environment, not like something put on, but the genuine environment that you foster for others coming into your home, whether that's for, uh, you know, a Friday night um, college age group or young adults or what you've been doing Friday night <laughs> gatherings for, um, you know, what, 30 years or something or longer, I'm not sure, but um, whether you're doing that or, um, or you're having people in for a meal, you know, the, the idea of, of really your desire to be that people are, uh, are sensing, even if they don't know what to name the, what they're sensing, but really sensing the Holy Spirit, really sensing hospitality and the gift of the Spirit, you know, in, uh, the love that's, that's communicated through a meal, through fellowship, through, uh, having an, you know, an, a bedroom that one of your boys gives up for them to be in for a number of weeks or months or whatever, you know, and, and, and what strikes me in that is that, um, 
I know for us, and I'm sure for others that have lived with you, like we've seen and experienced the value of that. And we see that as, uh, uh, you know, as an important thing for us to be doing within the body of Christ, that we also offer people the same thing within our own household. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've done that from, uh, really the beginning. I mean, very, not the very beginning, but pretty quickly after our marriage. So, um, yeah, it's it's a very important value I think that's that's so solidly biblical, and yet is so seldom experienced, um, you know, by certainly American Westernized um, uh, churches and churchgoers. I think. What uh, do you have thoughts about that in particular? Well, the other thing is it just it brought benefits to our family that we yes. never could have anticipated. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wonderful just having people around and just that knowledge of, you know, it's here in the Lord. But uh, as you mentioned, our boys didn't have their own rooms until their late teens. Yeah. They were always, you know, sharing a bedroom. And we had communicated, this This is your ministry. This is our family. This isn't mom and dad's ministry. And yep. well, you just go off the same. No, this is our family ministry. And they shared in that. And they got to see, you know, every day of, you know, the work of the Lord going on. Yep. And one of the things that just really surprised us later on, somebody came to Kathy and asked her, well, you've got two teenage boys who want to obey. You know, you've got these great kids. How'd that happen? And she was going to give just a glib answer, and then she thought, well, I'll ask them. Mm. And so she talked <laughs> to them. What a great idea. Yeah. And we found out, you know, from both of the boys, he said, oh, it's because we had all those college students who lived with us and we got to see what had happened in their lives when they weren't doing the right yes. things. And so, and we got to see what happened when people were making those other right choices. So they got to mm -hmm. live, uh, you know, see what kind of peop things people were experiencing and the heartaches that they were having because of bad decisions. And they decided, yes. Hey, we're going to do these other things that mom and dad are encouraging them to do that were producing good things in their lives. So right. it saved our family from who knows how much heartache. Absolutely. But yep. um, well, and they're seeing in real time uh, yeah. the principles that you're teaching and the scriptures are teaching. I think one of the reasons that um, that young people are, are wrestling so incredibly today. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I think a, a primary reason is the issue of fatherlessness. Um, obviously, that's not true in every Christian home, but it certainly is true uh, of many. And in a divorce culture, divorce often happening you know, within Christian homes as well. Uh, but even when that's not the case, even when dads are at home, oftentimes there's such a, an emotional disengagement or preoccupation with the job or uh, you know, other interests or even addiction of some kind uh, that, that oftentimes kids are not experiencing the kind of fathering that, uh, that God desired them to. And, and sometimes that's the case with moms too. But it seems more often to me, from my experience, I've seen you know, more engaged moms, kind of naturally engaged moms, not perfect moms, obviously, than, than with dads. But, but what strikes me about this particular conversation 
is the reality that your boys <clears throat> were able to see in real time uh, the principles being lived out, both the positive principles and the negative principles, uh, because you guys um, had an, an open home. Because uh, and you use those opportunities as teaching uh, teaching opportunities for your boys, which I think is so critical and so vital. And when we when we don't have that kind of uh, when we aren't inviting our kids into ministry uh, with us at age appropriate levels and that it's, a you know, what you did with your boys in terms of, Hey, we're in this together. Uh, and part of the sacrifice you're making and giving up a bedroom is, is, is a huge way in which God is enabling all of us as a family to do ministry and offer that. And yet here's the benefit coming back, you know, again, being able to see in real time, not just the theory of following after God, but actual practice yes. of what it looks like in the positive and the negative. So that's huge. Yeah. I had, you know, growing up, dad said he loved me. Um, mm -hmm. But what that meant to him was, I will take care of you. I will feed you and clothe you. But he did not desire to have a relationship with me. Yeah. And he would, he was uh, a workaholic, alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And when the weekends would come, He'd take off with his buddies doing motorcycle stuff that I wasn't invited to be part of. Right. And he would just, you know, do his own thing. And so I grew up making a list of, well, when I'm a father, I am not going to do this and I'm not going to mm -hmm. do this. And that's mm -hmm. where I, and I just resolved those things. When I was 10 years old, Hmm. I resolved that I wasn't going to drink. We had had a lot of alcoholism yep. in the family beforehand. And so I just said, you know, none of them planned to become alcoholics. And they probably just tasted it and said, oh, I like it and I can handle it. And they couldn't. Yep. So I figured, hey, if I do it, I'll probably like it. And I'll say I can handle it <laughs> and I won't be able to either. Mm -hmm. So I just won't even start. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, that broke all kinds of generational, mm. you know, problems. And so the house that my boys grew up in was completely different from the house that I grew up in. Right. And I rejoice in that and the blessings that it's brought into their families. And, you know, my boys married women that Kathy had discipled. So they were already, they had great relationships with their future mother-in-law. Yep. She hadn't planned it that way, but that's the way it worked. Yeah, these weren't and, arranged marriages, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we've got these six wonderful grandchildren who are all mm. walking in the Lord, and it's just a joy being a family together. Mm -hmm. But so much of that got birthed out of doing this ministry as a family together and for yeah. them getting to participate. Our our faith lived out was not a go to church on Sunday. I mean, we did go to church on Sunday, right. but it was every day and seeing the Lord in what we were doing. And, and as I had my own computer business, mm -hmm. there were plenty of times we need some new clients. We need some new work to do. And we'd come at the dinner table and I'd share this is what's going on and let's pray. And then the next day or a couple days later, I get to come back and say, the Lord's answered our prayers mm. and here's what's going on. And they just got to see that faith mm. component day by day. They saw yeah. the reality 
of God working in our lives and our dependence on him. And they are men of faith. And they share that in their families. Mm -hmm. And it's just the greatest joy for us to see them all doing well. So... Well, and that brings up another point, again, so much of what we'll wind up talking about and where I go with people that I'm chatting with it. We sometimes we have talking points. In this case, you and I don't even have talking points because we've known each other for so long. (laughs) And you're on the ministry board, uh, our ministry board. And we'll talk about that in a minute, too. But um, one of the things that that brings up again, that I think is so critical, is I often um, am talking with parents who say um, about their maybe their adult child or their older child that, um, you know, he's, he's living this way or that way. Oftentimes it's connected to sexual sin of some kind or identity confusion or whatever. Um, and, and the frequent thing I hear is he wasn't raised that way or she wasn't raised that way, or we didn't raise them that way. Now the truth is, and I want to be very clear about this. Parents can, can, you know, no parent is perfect, first of all, but parents can do a phenomenal job with their children. They can really raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and yet their kids can go off into all kinds of crazy places and yeah. all kinds of weeds. And it's not <clears throat> because the parents didn't didn't love them, didn't try really hard, and in addition to that, do some really great stuff. Uh, but what I find oftentimes, and I again, I've, I've I've heard this theme over and over again. What I find oftentimes when I do a little bit more exploring and, and um, digging is that when, when they say that they weren't raised this way, it's that they had a knowledge of what the Bible talks about. And I'm, the reason I'm bringing that up here is because it connects directly with what you're talking about. They had a lot of knowledge that was poured into them, but very little or almost not, no practical life-on-life experience of what it means to walk with Jesus. And they weren't really seeing it modeled all that well or clearly um, in their home either. And so kids that grow up that way develop, uh, and that was true for me in many ways, develop uh, a lot of knowledge about the scriptures, but, um, but, but with, you know, very little relational connection or any, we're not, we oftentimes, at least in the past, I think sometimes still now, we are not really answering the why for kids. We're not answering the how for them. Instead, we're just answering the what. And um, and when you leave those other parts out and we have all that relational disconnection, uh, it's no wonder that kids are leaving the church in droves when they when they go off to college or hit adulthood. What do you, uh, thoughts about that? Yeah, there. The Bible knowledge is detached from yes. their personal experience. Yeah. And so they they get a religion box and all the stuff that's, you know, put in there. But then it's sort of like, you know, I don't know this myself. I don't know anybody like this. And the more that we get to connect the reality of the scriptures and the stories, I mean, wonderful stories yeah. of people who were in real trials. You know, we talk about the heroes of our faith. And uh, I hear people talking about, oh boy, I'd love to be able to have a story like they do. And I say, oh really? In order to (laughs) be a great hero, in order to show great courage, you have got to be facing something really scary. You got to get thrown in the lion's den or whatever. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so, you know, do you do you really want to, to stand in front of a ten foot giant and say, <laughs> "What am right. I? I'm going to fight you?" Yeah, really. And yet, the more we could relate real life situations that our guys were going through to those people in the Bible, there was more integration and just reality yep. in their lives. And even in the ways that we would be teaching them discipline growing up, mm -hmm. there was uh, a time when Jonathan was young, he had some rollerblades on and Kathy said, uh, well, you know, time to take those off. And he said, no, he's not usually that defiant, but right, he was right. just in a mood where he wanted to, didn't want to do it. And all of a sudden, those skates went up in the air and he wound up down on his back. <laughs> it was just instantaneous. And Kathy said, well, do you know why that happened? She mm -mm. said, yes, because I disobeyed. <laughs> they, they were getting to see because God wants to support families that are teaching the right things. Right. And so many times we would just, we would pray and let the Lord do some of the work. Hmm. When Jonathan uh, had just turned 16, uh, my mother, his grandmother, had given him a car, really wonderful gift. And so he was just all set. It was about three weeks after he turned 16. And he came out and he announced to us that he was going to be going to Disneyland that day. Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> he didn't ask. He just told us what he was going to do. And we simply asked, well, have you prayed about it? Mm. Oh, well, no, I haven't prayed. Well, you know, why don't you? Oh, there's no need to do Why don't you just go and pray about it? <laughs> so he goes back to his room. And he comes out 10 minutes later and he said, God said no. <laughs> yep. We had just developed over, this, over the years that knowledge that God speaks and yes. that we would be asking and God gives that wisdom. And they learned how to practice coming to God and expecting to hear his voice. And... God totally supported us in our parenting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that makes it a whole lot easier when you got God on your side doing those things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and I, again, I think that that's so connected. God working um, on behalf of our kids and on behalf of parents um, and, and being, uh, you know, kind of a wind behind the sail in a, in a very complimentary kind of way that happens. I think when, when we are sincerely not just practicing a religion that's called Christianity, but authentic relational and connected Christianity. So, um, but Dave, you've been, um, and all, all this was kind of just a springboard of what you shared in your, in your story with us, which I so appreciate. You've, uh, been a part of, my life for many, many years, as I mentioned in the introduction, you and Kathy have, and you're now um, a board member for Love and Truth Network. You've been, you were one of the original founding board members, and that's been an incredible blessing, you know, to, to me and to Melissa, to the ministry. And I just wanted to, to take a moment and talk a little bit about your role 
you know, as a board member, you know, why, uh, I think maybe in the beginning it was, you, you saw what, um, the Lord was laying on my heart. I, I was still on staff as a pastor in upstate New York and been on staff at that church for 12 years and really feeling like the Lord was, um, in, in the very formative stages, no idea that we would be doing the stuff we're doing now in many respects. Yes. I was kind of thinking of it as being a, kind of a tiny little regional thing, but still an important thing. And you were the one on the board that said, wait a minute, Gary, this isn't regional. This is national and um, at a minimum. And uh, so in the beginning, I think you may have gotten involved uh, mostly because of our connection and relationship, which, you know, I think that's oftentimes where a lot of things begin. But again, you've been on the board all this time. Uh, what what are some of the what would you say about kind of your involvement as a as a board member? Maybe why you got involved or why you continue to be involved, and how you see the Ministry of Love and Truth Network being uh, something that's vital in our time and something you want to continue to be involved in. Well, over the years, you know, we've had so many people in our lives and. Mm-hmm. We rejoice to see God building people up in their faith and making them strong and giving them ministry. We say that when God brings you into his family, you get to partake in the family business. Yes. And so we all get to be doing this work of building his kingdom in different ways. But we've got to see, we rejoice so greatly in what God did in your life. Mm-hmm. Um we we loved you and prayed and were counseling and encouraging and everything else and just you know it, the way it was at least in my perspective over this it was 10 years of struggle and mm-hmm. having these things and you came back to me with the question a number of times saying oh I, you know, God's given up on me. I've lost my right. salvation. There's no hope. And I knew from the Lord, no, that's not the case. That, you know, it's one thing when people just say, oh, I'm just going to keep on sinning. And, well, you know, God will forgive me in that. That wasn't your attitude. Mm-hmm. You really wanted to escape this lifestyle that you had been in, the sin that had just so gripped your life, and it was our, um, I don't want to say pleasure, but it was just so on our heart that we just wanted to Mm. pray to be with you in this battle and to overcome, that I knew the grace of God would be sufficient, Mm. but this is something, and we learned, you know, a lot from you in the midst of going through and, you know, how big a hook, uh, you know, that homosexual lifestyle was Mm -hmm. and, you know, how difficult it is. And yet what we saw was you'd stumble and then you would have this sorrow and say, I don't want to do this. And you would want to repent and move on. And it would be a little bit longer before the next stumble and mm-hmm. not as deep and just keeping on going and seeing God working in you with your desire to live a holy life. And God is patient. I don't think people really understand mm. the right. patience 
of God. I needed to learn that lesson and seeing, you know, different things happening in churches where I was at. And I'd say, oh, God, you got to do something about this now. It's like Habakkuk. Uh, when you read his story, he's looking at the sin in Israel and he's saying, oh, God, how long are you going to put up with this? Mm-hmm. And God says, hey, I got it taken care of. I'm bringing in the Assyrians. And he says, what? <laughs> right. And yet for so long, why did God leave his people uh, in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years? Mm-hmm. It says he was giving the Canaanites time to repent. Mm. Now that's patience. Yeah. Yes. To keep on giving people an opportunity. Come on, you want to change? I'm here for you. That's what I desire. His desire isn't to rain down the fire. Mm-hmm. He will eventually do that. He is a God who will punish all that disobedience. But that wrath got poured out on his son mm-hmm. on the cross for things that he had been patient for so long. And yet the wonderful grace of God is also shown in great patience and encouragement. And so we just really felt a holy unction in supporting you and praying for you and being there and encouraging and the living and, you know, back and forth at at times as you go to different places and sometimes come back and just say, we are for you, God is for you, and to see his mighty mm. triumph in your life. What a cause for celebration in heaven mm. as well as on earth. And to see that God was doing that for you, but then also for a greater purpose. That just as Paul talked about, well, if he would save me, if I'm the chief of sinners who persecuted the church... Right. That's for the sake of all of you to know that his forgiveness is abounding for all. That whoever wants to be forgiven, who wants to have repentance and come and be in right relationship with God, it's available to everyone. And mm-hmm. it's not that, oh, well, Gary's in that area of sin that we really don't like to talk about in the church, and those are really despicable. No. God loves every single one of us so mm-hmm. strongly. And so he had done this powerful work in your life. And then as you were then ministering to those others and out of a place of total vulnerability, you never sought to hide your previous sin or to try and you know build up who you were you mm-hmm. you just laid it all out here's who i am here's what i've done and here's the grace of god that's come in my life and i knew from early on in that that this was something god had done a mighty work that was supposed to be a benefit to many, not just a few in little New York or even in the Northeast region. And God had just given me that vision that I I prodded you mm-hmm. <laughs> in those early days to yep. say, no, this is supposed to be 
national. Of course, you've made it international, going to other countries with that. Uh, mostly national, but yeah. But yep. Mostly national. Yeah. And for God to be glorified in what you have done in giving your life to him and the impact that has in so many people's lives, we are at a time in our country now. I mean, this... It's no coincidence and all this work and God raising mm. you up and having this ministry and a strong voice at a time when our country is being so swayed and moved by a militant sexual agenda that is contrary to what God says. Yes. And yes. And a sexual agenda, by the way, that isn't just about LGBTQ, it's it really, it didn't even begin there. It began with uh, really heterosexual uh, sexual license and, and basically just wanting uh, total uh, autonomy and, and um, you know, the idea, you know, God's dead, right? And so uh, he doesn't exist, or if he did, he's not really paying attention to what's going on here. I'm my own God, I'm the one in control of my own life, and therefore I'm gonna do whatever I feel like doing. Uh, with whoever I feel like doing it with. And, and that's, you know, and, and even using abortion as um, birth control, uh, I can go out and do anything I want to do. And, uh, you know, grabbing antibiotics to control the STDs that are coming about because we are not doing sex God's way. Uh, the, uh, you know, going and seeing a, a therapist because uh, we don't know how to deal with the fact that we're emotionally bonding with every man and every woman we're sexually involved with. The way God designed a husband and wife to bond more deeply together through um, sexual intercourse and through relationship, obviously, but, it, you know, through orgasm, how that produces these chemicals that really in the brain um, that are meant to be um, uh, further develop us emotionally and bond us to the other person. That was intended to be for the beauty and the glory and the, um, the goodness of covenant committed uh, marriage relationship. And when we treat it recreationally, we're, we're damaging our bodies through a variety of ways, not, not the least of which would be STDs. We're damaging our soul in the way that we are bonding and forming uh, connections and attachments that are unhealthy for us. And so now, you know, we're going out and popping uh, medication to deal with anxiety and depression and, and, and paying a, a ton for counseling. And of course, I believe in counseling. I believe that there's a time for medication. Yes. Uh, but there's a lot of things we're bringing on ourselves uh, through our refusal to, uh, to follow after God with our whole hearts. And that, of course, includes what we're doing sexually. Uh, that we're bringing on all kinds of um, pain and suffering that's needless, uh, and yet most people are not connecting the dots. They're they're drilling down, and this was true for me too. You know, drilling down more deeply, and I need the next relationship. I need the next man. I need the next woman. I need the next person who's going to make me feel better, and um, and 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 just trying harder uh, to. Um, again, to disconnect from God and to kind of cut him out of our lives and to be the, uh, the God of our own existence. So instead of, you know, one of the ways I've, I've heard it referred to and often referred to it is rather than finding ourselves as um, humans made in God's image, we are basically turning around and trying to make God into our image. And I think that's, yes. we're seeing a lot of that fallout. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. Please join us next week for part two of this interview.